Today's episode of Flying Coach on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen, their relief team, working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They are now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA. They're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants and business as well. You can directly help these heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us. And you can help keep your local restaurants live. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. We are trying to raise $250,000 this month. If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen. It's a charitable donation. If you want to find out more about them, go to wck.org. And once again, if you want to help with our uh, big drive, theringer.com slash WCK. Meanwhile, as a thank you for all the frontline workers for COVID-19, Pete Carroll and his company, Compete to Create, are offering a free online course in high-performance mindset, coincidentally called Warrior's Edge, the unique curriculum tailored to the various military, government, and first responder branches will prepare personnel with mindset skills that will transform their lives both personally and professionally. The course is an incredible insider look into Pete's philosophy, culture, and leadership. The stuff we're talking about on this podcast, actually. It also includes insights and teachings from his partner at Compete to Create, high-performance psychologist, director Michael Gervais, and former F-19 fighter pilot, Janelle McCauley, you can find it by going to his website at competetocreate.net backslash Warrior's Edge. It will be available for free for anyone working with COVID-19 through the end of 2020. Coming up, episode two, Steve Kerr, Pete Carroll, Flying Coach. This one's all about the draft. It's a good one. Here we go. All right, Pete, week one in the books last week. Uh, did you get a chance to listen to it? I did. I did. We survived it. Uh, we made it through it. Uh, no hitches. I, I give us about a B minus. B minus is fair. We'll shoot for a B plus today, but the, 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 whole, the whole point is to try to get a little better. So now I, I thought it was really fun. And uh, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about. Our, our sports are uh, so different in you know, the way we play, um, what we're trying to accomplish, but coaching is always similar no matter what what the sport is because you're still trying to accomplish the same thing with a group of people. And uh, so it's really it's really fun to hear your your stuff with, you know, kind of how you motivate your team. And so it's good stuff. I, I, I want to get into the draft this week. You know, next okay. week is uh, you're, you're a week away basically from what has to be the weirdest NFL draft in history, right? Yeah, this is uh, this is a one-time-only situation. I would think. I don't know. It'll never be the same, no matter what happens. Um, it's really unique, and uh, the whole process has been affected. You know, now as we close down, so much happens at the end because you know you accumulate accumulate all the information, and then at the end of it, now we we, we pick it all apart and put it together and, and and get it all situated just right for the draft. And a lot of the normal f- formatting is just not available. You know, we're, we're not sitting in the same room talking about stuff. And we, so there, it's all been done virtually. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for Zoom. We've been Zooming everywhere. And, and, uh, a lot of the a lot of the the closing types of uh, analysis that's done, the analytics that are done, are just not uh, available like, like they've been. It's relative. Everybody's got the same, and we're all competing, which is kind of cool because we're we're trying to figure out you know how to whip the other guys, you know, and get better information yeah. and more more intel and all that. G- and give so, me an idea of what the scene will be like. Normally, you would all be at your facility in Seattle, right? You'd, you'd how many people would be involved in a normal? Draft. There's hundreds of people when you particularly include the media too, because they're all on hand. Everybody, you know, we're, we're ready to, they can blast anywhere on the, on the globe. And, in, in, uh, you know, from our, from our headquarters, uh, the draft room, you know, kind of like the war room, as we, you know, it's referred to, uh, that's 
that's filled to the to the max, and and that's probably fifty guys in there that that wow. are coming and going, and uh, with the scouts and the coaches, and, and there's a movement kind of to that, the flow of that, with the bulk probably about twenty five of us up in the front trying to pull the thing together and all that, uh, really. Um, centric on John Snyder's work with all of the personnel people and all of his guys, they come together and, and they have areas, they've got, you know, specific uh, aspects of the draft that, that they're responsible for. There's just so many things going on. Now, all that's going to be done. We're all in our homes by ourselves, And so there's no direct interaction. It's all going to be, you know, on, on, you know, by Skyping our way and, and Zooming our way back and forth with multiple ways to communicate and and and, uh, and backup systems so that we don't fall apart and fail and and uh, so it's really it's it's really unique. We're going to all be in our own little cave. So you're literally going to be at your house during the draft. Yeah, set up in your office, and there's a hundred other people involved with the Seahawks who are all in the exact same boat. They're all at their house, set up, uh, just with their computers. Ready to roll. I, I don't know what the final number is, but there's people everywhere. You know, John's at his home. He's been, they've been setting up for weeks uh, really to get him organized and, and really zeroing in now. Uh, and we're finalizing the plan because we're having to create the plan of the communication uh, uh, avenues that we need. And I like during the draft, so many random things happen. Uh, still opinions, and I'll walk around and talk to different coaches, and I'll, I'll, I'll pull a guy aside. We may even put on a film to, to remind us about something or whatever. I mean, most of the, all of the work is done, but yet there are still those final decisions to be made. And uh, it's a very dynamic situation. It's really exciting, you know, and, and with all of the time that, that flows between the picks and all, um, you know, there's this great culmination, some, you know, through the seven picks or however many picks you have, where it gets right down to, the, now you're on the clock and the clock's ticking and all that. And the interactions that happen are so intricate. Now we're going to do this, you know, I'm going to be able to to zoom to my offensive staff, zoom to the defensive staff, zoom to John's staff. Uh, John and I can go, we have a couple hotlines and backup hotlines, you know, all that stuff is all going to be available to us so that we can try to simulate the normal pathways of information, you know, that we find need to make the choices that we make. So where's your, uh, where's your pick in the first round this year? We're picking 27th and- uh, All right. So you picked, you picked 27th. I'm trying to picture this on draft night. So you're watching, you know, virtually you're watching the draft, uh, you know, it's at t- pick number 24 and John Lynch calls you from the Niners and says, uh, Hey, I'll give you, you know, X, Y, and Z for 27. We'll flip it. Uh, you give us this, whatever, we'll give you that. And then all of a sudden you, your Zoom goes down. Your internet's not working. Like, <laughs> what, what? What are you going to do? Like, how does that whole process work if, if the technology breaks down? Yeah, we have to have backups. You know, backup ways to to communicate. So we have a, a number of levels to do that. And and particularly, uh, John Snyder and I. You know, we finalize what we're doing here. And and as we do that, it's he and I are looking eye to eye on this thing. You know, so we'll have to do that. You know, on our phones and and uh, and in the ways that we we have a couple backup aspects as well. Um, it could it, it could go all the way down to dump. You know, where there ain't nothing. Yeah. You know, I don't know how that will happen. We've got enough systems to back up. We got tech guys on hand. You know, to help us too. Um, but you know, it's just as easy as just screwing up and, and pulling out a, a plug or something. You know, you kick the we kick the cord and everything goes down. So. Um, it's it's all gonna it's gonna add for good drama. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be exciting, and and uh, we'll, we've done it enough. We'll 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 roll with it pretty well. But probably the most intricate part of this, other than the analytics that have compiled to this point, point is the potential to move in the draft. And that's there. We have been very very active over the years, and, and have always been looking for an opportunity. We just we consider another chance to compete, and so we will consider drafts with every pick that we're making. You know, in some way or sure. the other. Uh, well, we're getting ready for our draft, um, which is scheduled for the end of June, but probably will get pushed back. We're not sure yet, but you know, we're going to be watching closely. Um, it's an advantage that I think we have to be able to watch the NFL draft and to read about it and, you know, hear stories from organizations like your own, like how's this all going to work out? One of the things we've talked about is, uh, are you worried about getting hacked? You know, you, I mean, you, your computer guys probably have to make sure you're protected, right? I mean, I wouldn't put it past certain teams out there 
you know, trying to hack their way into your system? Well, there's an old saying, you either compete or you're not, you know, so, <laughs> you know, that we are, we're tuned in, you know, we're tuned in and the league has done, a, you know, a really extensive job to eliminate that as much as they possibly can. And hopefully, you know, we're going to have, we will have people on call for all of that. The security is very, is yeah. very extensive. I mean, this is a big deal, you know, so what I can't imagine is going into your draft and, and, You've got two picks. I mean, that's the nightmare of going into the draft. You know, if you only had two picks, you know, it would it would drive us crazy because it would just. But what's that like with just two choices? Is all you get, you know, basically. Well, it's a different deal, obviously, because we have you know our rosters fourteen, fifteen people, and uh, so for us this year, I mean, we, we're going to have a top five pick, which it's the first time in I think eight years that we'll have a lottery pick. Uh, last time we had one was Harrison Barnes. Uh, who was a huge factor in us uh, winning the championship in, in 15. And to be perfectly blunt, we need an infusion of, of young talent. Uh, we've been picking you know, 28, 29, 30th. And I, I think that's one area where the NBA draft is very different from the NFL draft. It's possible uh, to find an all-star caliber player in the second round uh, or late in the first, but it's unlikely. Whereas it seems like in the NFL – you you can get you can get really high quality players uh, throughout the draft, um, but for us, you know, top five we have a pool of probably 10, 12 guys who um, you know our our front office has given me ten or twelve guys to study. Uh, we're looking at that for the first pick, and then uh, we have two picks in the second round based on a, a, a trade that we made this past season. There'll be a pool of another twenty twenty five guys. And so we have scouts, you know, just like you guys do, who are out watching all season long and, and they're kind of whittling it down and, and trying to, you know, trying to narrow it down so that we can make the selection a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about it, uh, we're going to take, we basically have seven picks is what you get for the 60 something or odd numbers that will wind up being, you know, you're going to go with two picks for 15, you know, it's kind of relative when you think about it, as far as your opportunity to infuse talent. But uh, it certainly is an exciting part of this, this, you know, this whole job that we have. And it's a, it's a whole different set of, you know, variables and circumstances and talent and, and all of that. And we rely on so much on other people. I, I don't know. How much do you rely on your coaches as far as the evaluations as opposed to the, the, the personnel? Pe- personnel? Uh, less on our coaches than our scouts. In fact, this is really the first time that I will really be involved in the draft. Uh, you know, the last five years, the draft has come – a week or two after our season has ended because we've gone deep into, into June uh, with the finals this year, obviously not being in the playoffs. Uh, even if the season had been suspended, you know, I would have a couple of months before the draft. So plenty of time to assess. Uh, but in general, I think uh, Bob Myers, our general manager, does a great job of deferring to the people who are at the games, on the road, watching these guys night after night. Um, so our involvement is more in terms of kind of what we're looking for, what kind of player, what kind of person. And once we get an idea of who's out there, that, uh, that allows us to, to kind of narrow down the field. So this year we'll be more involved, but this will still be a, a decision made by Bob Myers and his staff. I'll, I'll have some input, but they're going to have their, their choice basically based on all the work they did all year while while I was, you know, coaching our team and worried about something else. How's it how's it work for you? Talk about the, the relationship. We have a, a, a crucial relationship with the general manager in in the NFL. I mean it's such a it's such an important relationship. To me it's the number one, you know, marriage that I that I have next to Glenna. You know, this is this is a marriage that we have to live together. We have to grow together. We have to accept each other's you know, unique ways. And we have to find our way to get to, you know, a decision that we can really uh, uh, champion. And so there's give and take, there's, uh, there's just understanding, there's, there's a real willingness to make the relationship great. And I've, I've, 
cherish that thought in the NFL when I came back to the league. It was really the most important thing that I was going to be part of is was to connect with the general manager so that we because there's so much you have to realize so much on on them. There's so much of the the personnel that running in and out the numbers and and all of the rules and all of the guidelines and all of the the stipulations that we deal with. The general manager has so much to do with all of that. And and uh, but we have we have to hit it as one. We have to see see and think and operate as one. And so I don't is is your relationship with with the general manager in the NBA similar to that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you have to be really connected uh, because there, it's such a high pressure situation. You know, everybody's jobs are on the line, and you know you can't you can't be divided, and it can't be a thing where you make a pick and you know I'm walking out the door going, "Hey, Bob took this guy," but uh, you know I kind of like the other guy. It, you know, you got to make your decision, and and everybody's got to be all in. And, and I think the other factor is your your owner uh, plays a big part in, in in the NBA too. And I think the uh, the trust level between Joe Lacob, our owner, uh, and Bob Myers and me, the, the three of us get along really well. We work together well. Uh, so there's a, a communication, a trust. There's a lot of ideas that that get thrown around, but in the end, uh, we believe in each other, and we also are going to accept the fact that you're not going to get them all right. In fact, if you get half of them right, you're doing pretty well in the NBA. I don't know if it's similar in the NFL, but uh, I would think that unless you guys are connected, you and John, every step of the way, it's it's almost impossible for it to work. Yeah, I, I've thought often, you know, that when you look at uh, when the a team in the NFL changes their leadership, you know, and they're going to hire a new coach and all that. Often the owners will go out and they'll, they'll get the hotshot coach that's out there and then they'll find the hotshot general manager and they'll bring them together and, okay, let's go. You know, we get the two top talent, talented guys. I, I don't, I don't subscribe to that thought now. I, I don't think that that's no. the best way. I think you got to get guys, you got to make sure that they can blend and they can, they can function and, and accent the other one's talents and strengths and all of that. It's, it's too intricate. You know, there's so much, at stake when in in these decisions make, making uh, process and and you need to be able to communicate at a really high level to function at a really high level and so not necessarily the guys see things the same and there's a million ways to do stuff you know there's no one way to do it but you've got to do the best way for those for those guys involved and the the chemistry and the communication I think is really really crucial and yeah that's yeah. great to hear that you guys have a good one there too how do you weigh the talent versus the need when you look at your roster and you're picking 27th and you kind of know, obviously, you know what you guys need in certain areas, but then you probably have a board uh, like we do, you know, best players available at every position, all that kind of stuff. How do you weigh that and reconcile that when you make your pick? Yeah, it's a it's a big big part of it, you know, because you get drawn sometimes to the the flash and, and the the potential and, and and all of that. We all do, um, and and we have to work our way through that. And and fortunately, you know, having a lot of experience in a lot of years going through this thing, it allows us to try to talk our way through the pitfalls. So there's pitfalls because it may be the need. We've got a burning need right here, but there's a fantastic player coming down the pike at you in the, your next pick. And, you know, which way do you go? It's, it's very subjective. There's, there, you know, there's a, there's a whole feel to it and there's a gut feel to it. That's really important. And, and there's a, real big trust factor here too, you know, as we make the decisions and all that. So uh, we try to, you know, we, we try to figure out how, where that's going to happen. And so we've tried to talk through the situations and the scenarios before we ever get there. So we're, we're well-versed. Sometimes you get surprised and you get, you know, unique opportunities pop up in front of you and, and, and you have to scramble a little bit. But when that happens, you know, we have enough confidence to go from our gut and and, and feel that you know we're going to come up with the right decision, even though we weren't able to maybe orchestrate a, you know a, a choice we were going to make, and um, with confidence and you know you know you wish for the best you know and and then you coach your, yeah, your butt yeah. off to make sure it works you know and so um, but that's that's kind of how that that goes and and uh, there's a, it really comes down there's a lot of trust that needs to take place and and um, we our, our guys work so hard at it that there's there's no issue of ever thinking that, oh boy if we only would have looked at it this way or we would have done it that way. I mean, we exhaustingly go through the process and John's a great competitor and he, he's got his whole staff of guys that, that have been together for quite some time and they know how they communicate. They know how to process and they, they understand each other. All of the depth of all of that is really valuable, particularly when you're making the, uh, you know, the big decisions that are kind of on the move. When you talk about there has to be a level of trust uh, when you make that pick, are you talking about trusting 
your gut, trusting each other, or trusting the the player um, based on maybe an interview or, or a tape that you've watched? Or is it all of the above? Yeah, it's all of the above. No, it's, it's all of that. And, and that's, that's the exciting part of it, you know, that uh, we're faced with those kinds of opportunities to make those choices. And and, you, and that's why I say you eventually, you know, what I like doing is I like to take all the information. Bud Grant used to say, take all the time you, you have. What's the rush? What, are you paranoid? You know, he'd say stuff like that, you know, take your time and think it through and, and use the time that's available. Well, that's what we do and when, our, when we're picking. We just take as much time as possible. We may be looking at each other, not saying a word, you know, and John and I were sitting there and when we're and we're, we're hearing from one of the scouts we're hearing from one of the coaches approaches the table we call him up let's see let's get your last word on this guy versus this guy and we may have an offensive guy versus a defensive guy standing right there at the table right where we're ready to pick you know to, to give us our final their final decision because we're okay about that you know I, we don't panic you know we're, we're, we're fine about it. we're watching the clock we're okay and then we'll kick the guys out when we have to and then we we go and we take that final look at each other and we'll, let's go you know and there's lots of yeah. times when you know John will say okay I'm, I'm I've got you on this one or or I'd say I got you. Go ahead, go for it. You know, it was a, we had a classic one with yeah, uh, the yeah. Russell Wilson was a great pick. He's a historic pick in our franchise. John was really, really com- committed and convicted on that one. He knew that this was going to be a great player for us. I was excited about the whole process, but there was other people that were wondering, you know, and they, you know, how could you take a guy that's not six feet tall, you know, and, and, and all that and the calendar play and all. And, uh, but it, we've had many examples of that. That was one of the real classics. And I was really excited for John because he was really committed to it. And then look at the way it turned out, you know, so it was a very celebrated pick for us over the, over the years. And, and, uh, but there, you know, hopefully there's another story here this year coming up and we're just sure, around the corner from sure. it. Sure. Well, w- one of the things that I know we all talk about is, uh, you know, you kind of want to get your kind of person, right? It's, uh, you know, the talent matters. You have to have talent. But ideally, you get a guy with talent who is also high character, a guy who's going to fit in your culture, your locker room. Uh, so thinking it through this year, you know, you have to trust a Zoom meeting. You don't get to, or maybe you did. I don't know. Did you get a chance to sit down with guys at the combine a couple months ago, or yeah, we did uh, interviews at the work? combine. Yeah, and normally we would have um, a number of guys that we can bring. That the league allows us to bring guys onto your you know, kind of like bringing them to campus. You know, and they come to the facility, and you have a chance to do another look at them physically. We may have had questions in terms of their learning or, or their makeup or their background, or there could have been you know all kinds of information we're gathering. That did not happen in person. That had to happen virtually. So everybody's gone through that process to get that final. But we've, uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversations on these guys and, and a lot of interaction face to face. But it's not quite the same, you know, when you're, you know, you're going when you're zooming them as opposed yeah. to having them in there and yeah. you can talk to them and, and, and really get close. But that's relative again. Everybody's up against the same numbers and stats. There. The thing I'm interested in, Stephen, in, in talking about maybe is is the kind of person that we want to play with. You know, because this is this yeah. is we're we're choosing talent now. You know, and and we get a chance to to take all the information in, and then then where do you go? And I, I'm interested, like how, how when it gets right down to it, this is maybe one of your most active drafts, and you're going to have maybe more input than ever. Mm-hmm. And there's there comes a time when you know, okay, what do I feel about this guy? You know, is I want this dude yeah, on my team yeah. or not? You know, <laughs> you know, how, how do you go about that? Some of that is. Uh sitting down with the player and interviewing him, which we're not going to get a chance to do this year, more than likely. You know, the, the, our pre-draft is in Chicago, late May, usually. Um, hard to see that coming together under the circumstances. So uh, probably Zoom meetings. We get a lot of intel from uh, college coaches, AU coaches. So our scouts are out on the road and I'm getting emails every day from, from our scouts uh, and our front office people you know, here's here's all of our intel on so and so, and you read through that stuff, and you can really learn a lot. You know uh, what a kid's uh, high school career was like, what his uh, college teammates felt about him, what he was like with the training staff. Um, you you can if you do your job, which uh, our scouts do do their jobs, they're, they're really good. You find out an awful lot about about a kid, and and I think where it gets tricky is you get far enough down in the draft where you're, you're kind of saying, okay, this guy maybe isn't skilled enough, but we love his makeup or it's the opposite, right? Like I don't know, makeup's kind of questionable, but, but, but he's pretty skilled, you know, now what direction do you go? And to me, it's, that's where you, you for sure make the decision based on 
the person, if you got a guy who's a competitor and a winner, um, I think you err on that side. And, and it's an easy selection for me to, to, to say, just take Draymond Green, right? 35th pick in the draft. You know, everybody said when he came out of Michigan State, it's like, well, did, is, he a, is he a four? Is he a three? I don't know, but he went to the Final Four twice, and he won two state championships in high school. So he's a winner. That's what position he plays, you know. And yeah. I think when you get to those points in the draft, if you can get a guy who you know is going to compete and fight like crazy and has a chance to fit in with your group, I think you take that chance. Yeah, I, I've come even – Back in the days, you know, we in the draft for years, college football, then went to, went to the NFL and did the draft stuff, then went back to college football, and then here we going back in, in, into it again in the NFL. The number one thing that has come through to me for all of this time is, is when it gets right down to it, if, if when it comes right, well, if we can take this guy, take that guy, I want to take the guy that I want to play with in the park. If I'm going down playing hoops yeah. in the park, we're going to yeah. play football in the park or play baseball, whatever it was. Who would I rather play with? And and that that to me is, it's uh, it's very subjective and uh, it's very personal. But it's the guys because I want to win, so I want to play with the guys that are going to help. You know, it, it, because they care so much and it's so important to them. And uh, it's it may be way beyond what what the, the physical stuff looks like, but you know, some sometimes just these guys you just want to ball with. Yeah, that's where I like to go. You know, and we've had we've had a lot of free agents in over our years. We've been we're going on eleventh year now, so we've had a lot of free agent guys that they just got that thing about them. You know, they got that attitude about them, that chip on the shoulder that 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 it's so freaking important to them to be something. You know, maybe not even yeah. be great, yeah. but they got to be something, and they and they really have something that drives them and pushes them to. They're going to just outlast the next guy because they got freaking win. You know, and and so yeah, that that's what that's when it gets right down to it. Okay, all the stats, all the numbers. That's what I really wish we could go in this. If we can choose on that element of this makeup of this guy. I want a guy I want to ball with. You know, and and uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So tell me about uh, last year. You get. Uh, DK Metcalf, second round, right? Yeah, guy. I mean, I saw the, I saw the photos of of him, you know, in the weight room before the draft. Like oh, this man. guy, physical specimen. By the way, I heard you walked in when you met him and you you stripped your shirt off and you said, "Let's come on, let's go." Right? Is that what, right? What? No, it's not exactly how it happened. <laughs> um, we okay, we all seen the pictures and all that. And in in uh, the setup there in Indianapolis, we're in these little hotel rooms, and and uh, so he comes walking in the door, you know, and we're all set up with the table and all of to come do our interviews, and he comes walking in with his shirt off. You know, so I said, okay. You know, so I ripped my shirt off too. I said, and fortunately, I, I I was lucked out. The camera was behind behind me, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I said, okay, let's go. You know, and and uh, so we had some fun with it. And, and, uh, you know, he he was a little. You know, I, I did humble him a little bit. So <laughs> no, I didn't at all. Um, that that was a fantastic pick for us. So you know, and, and it was a um, really an interesting story too, because this guy had everything you're looking for in the measurables yeah. and all of that, and had only caught a you know a handful of passes in, in his senior year, not you know twenty something pass or whatever it was, and caught a bunch of balls. But uh, he, he was extraordinary, you know, in, in in his makeup and his speed and his size and strength and all that. Well, more than that, and and through the process, I got to tell you, we I didn't. I didn't embrace how, what an extraordinary individual the guy was. I didn't know that. There was so much hype and all that about him that um, it kind of precluded some, maybe even the good, clear analysis that I would like to have made. Because now that I know him, he's he's unbelievable. He is such a hard worker and he cares so much and he's smart. It matters to him. He's he's takes care of his business. His world is in order. Uh, he can't wait to get great. I mean, he's so determined to be a great player, you know, and we didn't know that right away either. It took a little time to get to know the kid because he kind of stood off because he just was such a amazing looking dude. But uh, he's way better than all of that with his the way he approaches his world. And and so there, is the reason he dropped to the bottom of the second round because his senior season was not that productive from a reception from a football standpoint or. There was so much hype about him, Steve. That there was so much buildup about him, and he just did some phenomenal things that that he got picked apart so badly. And guys felt like you know they. I think they they felt we're not going to be the ones going to fall into the hype. And he, all of a sudden, he's not 
I mean, he's a top 15 pick going into the draft at one point or whatever, top 10 or whatever he was. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, uh, the, specu- the speculation about maybe he isn't quite this, he's too stiff, he's too this, he doesn't know route the route tree, all this other malarkey. It just, it warmed down. Well, we love the guy. And so we, we didn't, we weren't able to get him in the first round, but as we went through the thing, you know, because we, had, we took another guy, but it's all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of the second round, he's still there. You know, and and it's like yeah. you could tell something was up. There was a stigma. Something had happened. You know, right. to, uh, across the league, and guys just kept no, no, no. You know, and they kept letting them go. And so John and, and I were sitting there, and we take a look. And we we're about six or seven picks away, wherever we were, and we got a chance. You know, we, we, we he's yeah. coming down. You know, and we had a chance to make a trade, so we, we we positioned ourselves at the bottom of two. And and sure enough, there's about three. Then there's two. Then there's one. I, I was blown away i was just blown yeah. away that he he made it to us and and uh yeah. in the hopes that he could be a fantastic player and and uh and man he's been he's been great so he had a great rookie season and he's ready to go again i think sometimes it almost helps when a guy has a chip on his shoulder because he drops in the draft you know and i'll i'll go back to draymond uh i think draymond was 35th i think he was kind of they talked about him late first he goes 35th and to this day, he's been in the league probably seven years now. To this day, he can name all 34 guys <laughs> who got picked yeah. before him. <laughs> I mean, and he and he doesn't hesitate to do so. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had a, a guy like that last year, uh, Eric Paschal uh, from Villanova, second round pick. And this, this is where analytics start to become a factor. And I, I'm going to ask you about, about that in your world too, but you know, analytics have really taken over basketball in a big way to the point where, you know, players are getting picked apart on their shot charts. Um, if a guy is a mid-range shooter, you know, you kind of shy away. You, you know, you you kind of want the three-point shooter or the guy who can get to the rim. The mid-range shots are the, you know, kind of the least valuable. So Eric Pascal, who is just a specimen, uh, you know, 240 pounds, 6'7", bouncy, athletic, unbelievable kid, uh, easy to coach, you know, experienced, ready to roll, just wasn't a great three-point shooter in college. So he drops all the way to 41. And he had one of the best seasons of any rookie player this year in the NBA. And he was so motivated by dropping to 41. You know, he couldn't wait to, to compete against the guys who had been picked before him. And, uh, so that edge, you know, when you can, if you can feel that edge beforehand, you know, now you know you're on to something because like you said, you just want to find guys who you want to play next to and, and play pickup ball with because you know you're going to stay on the floor That's and keep exactly winning. right. Well, you know, the, the, the thing that happened with DK, and, and, you know, he had the highest of hopes, I'm sure, as all the kids do, you know, as they're going through it. And he winds up all the way down to the bottom of two. And and I think the first things he said, he says, why did it take you so long? You know, he was dying, you know, through every pick, you know, and he just, you know, where, where, where were you, you know? And, uh, but th- that in particular, I'm sure is part of this makeup is, is you know, he's yeah. he's got something... He already has something to prove. He's got something more to prove, and there ain't nothing more powerful than that. Hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Can we switch gears for a sec? The, um, sure. The, with you know, I was I'm always curious. About, I love hoops, you know, and, and all that, and and to see the trend changing so much to, to the the game is different now, you know, than than it's been. But I think a fascinating uh, question I have an answer I want to hear is being the like the all time ever three point guy ever, you know, in college and in in, in the NBA and all. You know, you've got it. That's been your makeup, your background, your whole world was gunning it down. To see the game kind of come, would you look at yourself like you were setting the trend and nobody knew it at the time, <laughs> and the whole league is finally <laughs> caught up with you? <laughs> you know, uh, with, with you know, we're in curve fashion now. You know, or but what is that like for you? Because you nobody has been any more immersed in being a great long distance shooter than you, uh, and and now you see the game has shifted so much in that direction. Well, I'm curious how, what you think about all that. You know, one of the things I've been doing is watching a lot of NBA TV, you know, watching old games uh, that are coming on. I, we all miss watching sports on TV. It's killing us. So, you know, I'm watching whatever. I watched the Masters from last year on on, on Sunday, <laughs> which was great. You know, I saw the, some of game one from the 1988 World Series. I'm a Dodger fan. So the Kirk Gibson games on TV, I'm like flipping through the channels. Like, like this is all we have now. Uh, but I, I found a game. I played for Orlando in 1992. 
And we played a game in Chicago. Michael Jordan had uh, 68 points or something. And it was Shaq's rookie year. I think Shaq had like 29 and 25. And I barely played in the game, but I was just enamored with the game because it was so different. And Orlando uh, is down. We're down four, uh, three points with four seconds left in the game. I, I didn't remember this game very well, but I get in the game watching on NBA TV. I'm like, I don't even remember what's going to happen. Do I get a shot here? Like what happens? <laughs> and they flash on the screen. They flash the three-point shooting for both teams for the game. And it was Chicago, two for six. Orlando, three for seven for the whole game. Yeah. There's four seconds left in regulation. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's happens now before the first time out. That's right. Um, that's right. So I had no idea that stuff was coming. Uh, at the time when I was playing, I, I would I would take two or three three point shots a game max because it just wasn't something that coaches harped on. And um, I just waited till I was wide open. I only <laughs> shot the open ones. If I wasn't open, I just move it on and to see the guys, the degree of difficulty that these guys shoot with Steph Curry, James Harden. Oh, it's crazy. Unbelievable. Crazy. Uh, Did you think everybody was missing the boat though, that they, they should have let you shoot more back in the day because you, because you could nail it or did you, <laughs> you could have said something to Lou, Lou or something, you know, or pop, right. you know, Hey man, I need, I need a couple more threes here, dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do think about that a little bit. It would have been nice to, uh, to be in a situation where, the coach just said, hey, just shoot 10 threes. On the other hand, because of the way the game is played, I would have to guard James Harden on a switch too. You know, so <laughs> yeah, really. there are pluses and minuses to this whole thing, Pete. <laughs> so Don't defense would have been a lot harder. Guard him. Nobody can guard the guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody can guard him. But uh, actually, that's something I want to ask you about. It seems to me that the concepts are similar now in, in terms of the direction football and basketball are going, this this idea of pace and space, right? Getting getting teams spread out. Uh, I know in basketball, what it's meant has is that you're looking for positionless players now. That's what we're looking for. We're, we want guys uh, who can guard three, four different positions, who can shoot, handle the ball, play defense. You know, two way players, guys who can. Uh, who can just play no matter who is out on the floor, they can survive out there. Is it similar now in the, in the NFL in terms of that type of versatility that you're looking for? Yeah, and it's coming through the college game too, and in the high school game. I mean, the, the game has really spread out. It's become so much more oriented to the throwing game. You know, back in the day, the game was played in a, just on a tabletop almost. You yeah. know, and and it was to take care of the ball. You know, you want to give the ball up, and, and as as every all the game has has evolved. Coaches and players and and the, and expectations have shifted so much that you can now feel comfortable about moving the ball, throwing the ball all over the place. So that means okay, let's get us more area, more space to to you know to find guys, you know, opportunities, and and that leaves uh, the opportunity for smaller players and quicker guys and more mobile people on yeah. playing in bigger areas. Uh, that, that it calls for different uh, kind of makeup. Uh, linebackers, the old you know Nitschke and Butkus and those kind of linebackers. I mean, those guys are great all time players. They have a hard time playing now you know they, they'd be guards you know they might be playing sorry i'm gonna hear from those guys they're, they're gonna be playing on the other side of the ball you know but uh yeah. be on offense you know so it the game has really shifted in and uh the 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 tempo of our game like the tempo of, of hoops too i think is it's just picked up you know the clock's running let's get some more shots let's get some more balls thrown down the field right. and and right. and so that has really uh it has shifted the game and you got to hand it to the the innovators you know the coaches that have had the willingness to yeah. go outside the the you know the the ranks and, and and to shift the game around. You know, I say all that and then I'm still a real balanced you know coach in general. You know, I, I want to have the running game and the passing game because you don't know when you're gonna need it. And and we've done this for years, but we love to bomb you. We love to go downfield. We love to stretch the field yeah. and explode and all that. So we we're working all along to try to create those opportunities to still use the spacing of the field. And and uh so it's a it's the game has definitely changed and the needs and for p- players to be more uh, versatile, like you're saying, uh, it, it's it's accentuated. In the NFL, there's an old saying: the more you, you know, the more you can do, and that's kind of has to do with that thought. If you could be a guy that can you could use out of the backfield as a running back, well, that makes you have a unique 
you know, quality yeah. to you and the different receivers. Now it comes down, can the receiver block now? I mean, of course, we get all kinds of guys that can run sure. routes and catch balls, but can the guy help you in the running game or help you in the short passing game? And so there's a yeah. lot to it. And we've seen also the other, I'll shut up on this one, but the other one is about the quarterbacks, you know, the, the mobility of the QBs and, the, and to uh, appreciate that mobility and to understand what, what it's like to try and defend guys that can run all over the place. It's an incredible yeah. different part of the game. So that means the so, defensive guys have to be able to, you know, adapt as well. So it, it's a big transition yeah. for the game. No, I know that's, I mean, that's what all of your, your opponents have to deal with Russell Wilson scrambling sure. around back there making plays. That, that, that's a nightmare. Um, but when you talk about the, the coaches who have been the innovators, you know, in terms of uh, pushing the game forward and opening it up, who are the first coaches who, who come to mind for you in that regard? The whole college crew is doing done well. Chip Kelly had a lot to do with influencing a lot of people, you know, and he had he had learned as with some other guys to speed the game up and and the whole game transitioned from huddling to no huddling and and communicating from the sidelines. And he was one of the guys we had to play him at Oregon back in the day and and got to see what that was like firsthand. We were really in the transition of it. But to go back even further, uh, and matter of fact, this you know this is a, a guy that I've always held in such high regard uh, is uh, Marv Levy. You know, you, you might not remember this, but back. Back in the day when when the K-Gun was rolling at Buffalo, those guys were the first team that I can recall that really featured no huddle offense. And they had a mm-hmm. great team with Kelly and Thurman Thomas and, and, and Lofton and all the guys and BB, all the guys they had. But they had a whole new mentality about playing the game. And it, they their excellence lasted. They I mean, they went to four Super Bowls and they won their divisions like seven times when he was there, whatever it was. They had a really long run of, of high success. And then nobody else did it. And it just it just dropped off the face yeah. of the earth. Nobody followed suit, you know. And so there was the innovation. It was there for us, but we didn't capture it, you know, because in the league it's hard to make those big transitions because you're so scrutinized and all that. But that this, you got to give it to those guys because Marv Levy was one of the first guys, you know, and he was he was way, way, way ahead of his time and, and uh yeah. people followed suit. So it's it's been it's been fun to watch. I, I know the NBA is a kind of a copycat league. So whoever has success. Everybody else kind of watches and says, "All right, let's let's do it that way." I remember uh, in the '80s, you know, Houston ended up with Sampson and Olajuwon at the Twin Towers, you know, and, and they were they were tough. So everybody started to get two centers. They say, "All right, we got to we got to go big." Uh, the Lakers, when they were winning titles, they had Kirk Rambis playing power forward. You know, they had all those all those superstars, but then there was Rambis, kind of the the dirt worker. And everybody said, oh, we need that guy. We, and, and that's, I think that's how the NBA is. But in general, it's the, it's the teams that have cracked through, won the championship, that have set the tone. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if Levy's teams, just because they didn't win the Super Bowl, like if they had just won that's a good point, one of those Steve. Super Bowls. Yeah, that yeah. had they won one time in there, it might have made a, a much bigger influence. It sure influenced me because I was in the I was in the AFC East at the time when they were doing all that. I was coaching defense and they were killing us. It was really hard back <laughs> in the day, man. Uh, uh, there were some real nightmare games we played against those guys uh, because it was so fast and we were you know, there was all kinds of tricks and things we were trying to do to slow them down. We couldn't do it. You know, they were an incredible team. Is that like the defensive lineman like goes down and fakes the injury? Were you doing oh, that? Oh no, one? that we would never have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, whatever it took, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, a guy that, that I really like is, is think about what, what uh, Pat Riley did. Remember, remember how we, we, the New York teams? And they were just so yeah. tough and so yeah. rugged and so physical yeah. and all that. And then he goes out, you know, and he's, and he's got the Lakers and he's, you know, they, they weren't like that at all. They were totally, think, think about that, mm. that, that spectrum that, that he was able to coach and guys that had, he's, he was just a great ball coach, you know, and he, he knew how to figure out how to get the best out of his guys and all. And, and, uh, but I, I love seeing that. I love seeing guys that have that flexibility because they're so competitive. They got to go where they got to go and they figure out a way, you know, that's and right. he, he's one of those guys that's a classic, I think. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Riley is one of the all-time greats and, and has always adapted to his talent. Um, but he also had the advantage of watching Chuck Daly win a couple championships in the late 80s by slowing things down and just beating the crap out of everybody. Yeah, he knew it. And then all of a sudden, Riley's got Ewing and Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason and Xavier McDaniel. And and that team was so physical. It was uh it was incredible. But um, yeah, the league over the last 20 years, it's really interesting when you think about it, both the NFL and the NBA have really relaxed 
some of the rules to favor the offensive side, not wanting the game to be too physical so there can be more scoring, more fluidity, more athleticism. And and I think by and large, both leagues have been very successful in creating a, a more entertaining sport. I don't know. I know you're kind of a defensive guy yeah. at heart. Uh, it's Maybe it's not easy coaching in the, in the modern NFL. It's, 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 yeah. it's been an ongoing yeah. challenge and, 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 uh, but it is part of, you know, you got to go with it and all that, but it was, uh, it, we've witnessed a, a real shift and a real change and it's exciting for the game. And, and, uh, the thing I like about it, it's, it's worked its way yeah. all the way back through the, the, the younger levels of, 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 the game, you know, where kids can throw the football, you know, kids have thrown thousands of balls by the time they get to college, you know, the high school quarterbacks and all. And, and, yeah. uh, it was amazing to watch that when you used to recruit, we recruit guys, you see them as freshmen and sophomores coming up, you know, and they're the, 13, 14 years old throwing curl routes and the hook and goes and, and crossing routes and all that. Yeah. How did that ever happen? You know, yeah. how did the coaches ever get to that? But they did. And uh, it's it's a real statement about just the game keeps fluctuating and changing. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up. Uh, and let's uh, let's do this. Uh, the one that got away. Like, is there a draft that comes to mind where you say, man, you know, there, there, was, there was a guy we had our eye on and something happened and we – and we just couldn't get it done. Every year. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Every year it's Every like year. that. Yeah. I mean, it, there's guys you just fall in love with and you just, you know, you can picture it. You go through the whole process of, what you know, envisioning how it's going to be and the team's going to go this way and that way and you're going to do all this stuff and then, oh, no, it gets taken, particularly when, you you know, when they get taken right before you. Um, but it's, it's there's so many guys, Steve, I couldn't even pick it out because it happens every year because yeah. we fall in love with guys, you know, and, 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 uh, it's part of the fun sure. of it too, because when you get him, like this DK was one of those examples. Where I was so in love with that that kid, and I was just hoping I couldn't believe he'd ever had the shot, you know. So, but I don't know. There's always I know right, John's me, got a bunch of his ones in the closet. Let me flip it around then. I want to flip it around and pose the question differently for you. We we talked about uh, you got Russell in the fourth round, third round. You got uh, DK in the third round, DK late second. Um, how about another guy who maybe a sixth, seventh round pick who? became a great player. There's a guy on my team right now, the, uh, Chris Carson, um, who was a running back at Okie State. He was a junior college transfer, was going to go to Georgia. They took another running back. He, he's right at the very end. He winds up going to Oakley, Okie State, gets in there and doesn't do much playing. Uh, his, his junior, I think he got banged up. He comes back his senior. I think he had 80 two carries or something his senior year. Somewhere along the process, uh, I remember John saying, hey, you know, there's this running back at Okie State. Just take a look at him, you know, and see what you think, you know. Well, I fell in love with this guy. I mean, he had style. He had toughness. He had the big 32 on him. He looked great. You know, he had all the moves and all that. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but he wasn't well-known, and he had been banged up and all that. And and uh, and so we we just followed, you know, followed all the way through the draft, you know. And I was, I started nudging John about the fifth round, you know. I'm giving him a little shoulder. Hey, what about, you know, Carson's still out there, you know. And, ah, wait, 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 uh, wait, wait yeah. okay, you know, we got this other guy. So I, I followed him, and sure enough, uh, we had a chance to get him, got him in the seventh round. And uh, and Chris came in and just was just, he was so much uh, of, of a ball player in, in our style of play and all of that, and he just fit in so well. He was one of my favorite picks that we were able to make because I, I just thought, you know, that there was something really unique about the kid. And sure enough, man, he's, he's had two, two or three great years for, for us and been really fun to coach. So there's guys, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite one though. My favorite one is Richard Sherman. Cause Richard Sherman, we picked him in the fifth round and Richard never let me forget it. You know, he's, you know, he was always pissed. And, uh, and, and I love that about him because we had him somewhere like in the third round on the board, but, but we didn't take him. We took somebody else. We, we finally take him. Nobody else took him. We took him, you know, and he's pissed at us for, <laughs> why did it take, you know, what do you, <laughs> Thinking, you? You, you know, I was, and I loved it because it, it was he was another guy that had that chip on his shoulder that that and and carried him to you know just a world class yeah. player and, and all of that. Uh, but you know, it didn't, some guys you can't please no matter what. You know, I think you're lucky to get right, drafted right. sometimes. You know, and so anyway, you know that was there's all kinds of stories like that throughout the draft. Well, my my story is uh, I, you know I was a GM at one point. Um, <laughs> With the Phoenix Suns. Wow. Yeah, 2007 to 2010. And ironically enough, uh, I think it was a 2009 draft. We being Phoenix, I think we were picking maybe 14th. And we tried to trade up to get Steph Curry. And we went really far down the road with the Warriors. And we thought, 
we're going to get this done. We're going to we're going to make a deal, and and this is going to be the guy who's going to replace Steve Nash. One of the reasons we loved Steph was we had this great fortune to watch Steph, uh, Steve Nash win two MVPs and and you know become this dominant player and this incredible leader and this, you know hero in in Phoenix and you know the the guy whose jersey everybody wore, all the kids wore all all over town. And so the more we watched Steph Curry, because it wasn't obvious watching Steph in college that he was going to be, be a star. I mean, he was, he was, you know, he was, uh, he had to grow, he had to get better. Um, but you could see the skill level. And so we actually thought we had a deal done that night and it just fell through and the Warriors ended up taking Steph and, uh, keeping him and, I'm really glad, Pete. I'm glad that, that happened. Yeah, I'm really glad you missed <laughs> I that. probably wouldn't be doing a coaching podcast with you uh, right now if we didn't, uh, if that trade had gone through. Uh, thank God for Steph. Hey, tell me real quick before we before we leave it. What did you see about Steph? Did you did you anticipate he would be such such a bomber that he would shoot like that and and, and be such an extraordinary long distance bomb guy? You know, it just made him for a smaller yeah. guy. You would. His range is awesome. The first time I saw him was uh, he was playing, I think his sophomore year, he was playing against UCLA in the John Wooden Classic in Anaheim. And he looked like he was 12 years old. And he was, you know, he probably weighed 150 pounds. But from a skill standpoint, he was just mesmerizing. And he really was so much like Nash, just the combination of the of the feel and the the, the handle and the shot. And, and you could just see how further along he was uh, from a hand-eye coordination standpoint than anybody, um, even even anybody in the NBA at that point. He was right there. He would have been right there with Nash and all the other uh, very top guys you'd think of. Uh, but it just, you know, you just didn't know because he looked, like I said, he was 150, 160 pounds and looked like he was 12. And, and you know, it was, it was hard to picture him in a group of men, but you could see the skill. For sure, and uh, but I, I don't think anybody could have predicted, you know, what he's what he's become. Pretty amazing. What an amazing competitor and player. So, so much fun to watch. Yeah, you know, being an old Bay Area guy, you know, I've always been a Warriors guy. You know, I mean, that's where we that's started. Right. You know, so Marin, I've been right? Warriors forever. Yeah, born in yeah. San Francisco and all that. And uh, so it's always all my buddies and all. You know that we've always followed the Warriors really closely, and so we've had a blast with you. You know, the years that you guys have been there and done so many great things. It's been fun. Did you uh, were you were you there when uh, when the the seventy five team won the championship with yeah. Rick Barry? Yeah, Al sure. Adels. Oh, big Rick Barry guy. Yeah, yeah. Al Adels. Yeah. yeah, that was yeah. that was a great team. Nate Thurman. We uh, go all the way back to Al, all those guys. Great you know, stuff. Was, I think it was Tom Macheri or that his name. Oh, Tom Macheri. Yeah, yeah. His jersey's hanging on our wall. He's uh, one of the all time great warriors. And actually, Tom and I stay in touch. Uh, we email each other. He's still a big Warriors fan, and uh, and uh, topic for another day. We got to get the Sonics back. I can't even imagine. They're so fired up for hockey coming in, you know, and hockey's coming yeah, to town. Yeah. The Sonics coming back. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like, but it would be extraordinary if it ever happened. Yeah. Well, we're all hoping for it to happen. Thanks, Pete. Take care. That was fun. All right. Bye bye. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Flying Coach. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget about the ringer.com slash WCK if you want to help out World Central Kitchen. And don't forget to go check out Compete to Create, Pete Carroll's website, if you want to find out how to get a free online course in high-performance mindset, coincidentally called Warrior's Edge. Enjoy the weekend. This feed will be back next week with yet another podcast. Thanks to Steve and Pete for doing this. Stay safe out there. See you soon.